plan for your life? Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener, Cynthia Bryan, as she engages in energetic exchanges with success experts, bringing you research, innovations, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your life, business, and personal spaces. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star. Are you are the party starts now? Well, it's Star Style. Hello, Power Partners. Welcome to our informational playground, Star Style. Be the star you are. We are brought to the airways under the species of Be the Star You Are charity. I am your host, Cynthia Bryan, and we are live right here on Voice America. This is the Empowerment Channel. And we have a wonderful show with uh, for you today. I am so excited about the uh, person, uh, the author, who is going to come in segment two, Jan Eliasberg. She's written Hannah's War, and it is a novel, but it's based on true people of World War II and the atomic bomb and the Manhattan Project. And so it's really fabulous. She is an award-winning screenwriter and a director of film and television. And I've actually worked in a couple of the shows that she um, either directed or I guess she directed. Uh, So that's kind of exciting. Anyway, that's in segment two. And then segment three, we will be talking about not only coronavirus and the limited gatherings um, and how to watch for the mandates, et cetera. But it's flu season. And, you know, the crazy thing is we're in the midst of the pandemic. So we have a dual threat of contracting the flu and COVID-19. So experts are warning about a twindemic. And so we'll get us give you some information about how you can keep yourself safe, get a flu shot, because you don't want the flu and not know whether it's the flu or the pandemic. The miracle moment for today is brought to you by Be The Star You Are charity. Visit bethestaryouare.org. We are doing Operation Disaster Relief. Not only are we bringing you the authors and entertainers here on Star Style, Be The Star You Are, and on Express Yourself through Operation Disaster Relief, but we are actually now working for the California fires and helping with that. We've already been donating to survivors. We're in another fire this week. If you think that my voice is a little hoarse today, it is. The smoke is everywhere. Uh, Napa Valley, our wine country, is on fire again. And it is just incredibly sad. Truth comes out in wine, said Pliny the Elder, and the people who give you their food give you their heart, and that was by Cesar Chavez. Well, the smoke and the fires have ravaged farms and vineyards throughout Northern California, including my family vineyards in Napa County. The grapes are beautiful right now. They're plump, they're juicy, they're ripe. Harvesting would normally be in full swing this month, but sadly, With so much fire and smoke suffocating the fields through the region, wineries are requiring all red grape samples to be tested for what's called smoke taint. Now, smoke taint is concentrated in the skins and during fermentation, 
the glycosides, they break down, they release volatile phenols and smoky flavors into the wine. And the result is it tastes, your wine will taste like licking an ashtray. Now, normally the damage is not detectable by looking at or eating a grape. It's only noticeable in the wine. And of course, since wine, uh, white wine isn't barrel aged um, and doesn't use skins, white wine doesn't usually experience this smoke taint. However, the smoke is so bad this year and the fires are so terrible at the wrong time because it is harvest. In previous years when we've had bad fires, they're usually at the end of harvest or after harvest, usually late October, or early November. But right now is prime harvest season. And my brother went out into the vineyard to taste some of the, cabin, uh, the Cabernet Sauvignon. And he said you had to spit it out. The grapes themselves taste like ashes in an ashtray. So for our family uh, vineyards, the entire harvest is ruined. And I am assuming that for most of the vineyards in Napa, Sonoma, and probably Mendocino, red grapes are also ruined. And I would predict that we will have a minimal, if any, 2020 vintage of any red wine. So you may want to stock up on red wines from other vintages because I don't think it's going to be anything for this year. Now, the largest testing laboratory is called ETS. It's in St. Helena. And St. Helena is on fire right now. All my, my relatives have been evacuated. And that particular laboratory, I don't know if it's still okay, but it was swamped um, with results being backlogged for weeks. And growers were finding out um, that they couldn't even get tested until perhaps November. Samples couldn't be tested. And of course, by then, the window for harvesting is over. The grapes are dried raisins. They're not suitable for pressing. They're not suitable for eating. They're not suitable for giving to, to, the, um, to animals or anything. So this is just a disastrous year here. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. My heart is just so broken. So what does this mean for viticulture in 2020? Is that farmers potentially are going to lose their entire crop. They're going to face increased financial hardships as the grapes hang on the vine. As I said, there probably will not be a 2020 red wine vintage because wineries are not allowing deliveries of grapes. And as you've probably read in the news or seen in the news, many of the wineries have already gone up in smoke. Um, I mean, there are many, many wineries in the Napa, Sonoma region, but even having a few are, is go be burned is just horrible. And truth is always evident in the wine. So while sniffling smoke for the past several weeks, um, my normal gardening tasks have been placed on pause. I have literally been sheltering indoors and suggesting to all clients and readers of my garden columns to do the same to maintain health because smoke inhalation peril is increased during COVID-19. Now, it doesn't mean that I've been avoiding my garden. I've been um, asked to actually write another garden book. And I've been brainstorming in my library. And so I'm bringing the fruits of my labors inside to my kitchen while I chef it up. And one of my charity collaborators and friend, Terry in Washington, who is the, the um, executive director of the Reading Tub that we do book reviews, Be the Star You Are and the Reading Tub, 
my volunteers at Be The Star You Are write reviews. We send them to Terry, who publishes them. And I was just telling her what I was doing and what I was making in the midst of all these fires because I'm indoors. And she was like, oh, I can smell the sauce from here. Because I wrote her to mask the smell of smoke. I was making my family's traditional homemade spaghetti sauce with ingredients from my waning garden. And the process reminded her of being in her Italian great-grandmother's kitchen. So with this, the hot weather, the intense sunshine, the heat of the summer, tomatoes, onions, garlic, peppers, and herbs are really filled with flavor, and they don't have the smoke flavor. And so I'm Italian, and being Italian, neither my nani or my mom or any of my, my relatives measured anything. A recipe was always handed down throughout the generations by watching, doing, and adding, you know, a little of this, a pinch of that, lots of garlic, several splashes of wine. And we have always, always cooked by taste, adding spices and flavors as needed. And of course, when you do that, you're going to naturally have numerous malfatis. Uh, malfatis means mistake in Italian which oftentimes were our greatest successes. And so that's why I've always said, you know, turn your failures into fertilizer because malfatis are actually really, really good. Now, the best cooks that I have ever encountered have also been avid gardeners because gardeners experience nature using their senses. Gardeners amber, you know, they just amble through a potager. They snip, they smell, they nibble, they feel, they see. And they have a profound sensitivity to the innate characteristics of each legume, each bloom, or a crop. So being an astute chef requires one to know how to mix and mask fruit, flowers, vegetables, and herbs to enhance any dish. And that way you allow the natural essences to imbue the zests and aromas. Because food has to look good, smell good, taste good, and ultimately be satisfying, making you feel good. So autumn is harvest time, and besides eating our tasty produce now, it's also the perfect opportunity to can or to freeze fresh crops to savor during the winter months. Now, a couple of, oh, well, not a couple, a few herbs that you can dry or freeze include basil, bay, oregano, sage, rosemary, dill, thyme, and parsley. I prefer to freeze basil and parsley or make sauce eye cubes with those. And the rest of the herbs, I just dry them and I store them in labeled jars because, especially in winter, I'm going to make more of our famous Italian spaghetti sauce. So I'm going to give you this recipe right now because when I say recipe, again, it's a little of this and a little of that, but it really is delicious. And if you like pasta, we call it spaghetti, you can use this on any pasta. So. In a pestle and mortar, grind together oregano, sage, rosemary, and thyme. You can use a blender if you want to do that, but I just use our centuries-old <laughs> pestle and mortar. Chop some red and yellow onions and several cloves of garlic. Saute the onions and garlic and olive oil until they get translucent. Stir in chopped mushrooms, any kind of mushrooms you want. Add three or four whole bay leaves. I grow bay, so I put it in there. And a handful of the mashed herbs and... Then if you're going to have meat, you know, you can use ground beef, lamb, pork, chicken. You add that to the mixture. Now, if you want it vegetarian, that's fine. Just skip this part. Then cut up six to ten tomatoes. And these are from your garden, of course. Smash half the tomatoes and add those pieces 
um, uh, like you make kind of a tomato paste. Then you pour in the red wine. And then you add four or five basil leaves. And again, it's all approximate. You've got to do this by taste and smell. And you stir everything together. And of course, you add more wine as necessary. Simmer on the lowest heat for several hours until all the flavors have melded together. And I turn off the burner and just let it sit. And it should be this rich, rich, rich sauce. You can sprinkle some sea salt, some freshly ground pepper. Optional ingredients include peppers, eggplant. You want to make a puttanesca, add olives or capers. And the final sauce is going to be so thick, so rich, so delicious. And don't be afraid to make it in advance because flavors are more delectable the next day. And of course, you can freeze or can any extra sauce. I always make a big pot and I freeze some tubs for later consumption. Pour it over spaghetti, ravioli, lasagna, pasta, and then toss lightly to blend the sauce. Top with chopped parsley some torn basil leaves, some grated Parmesan. I'm talking with my hands right now while I'm talking. So if you hear me moving, it's because I'm Italian and I, if I'm cooking, I have to use my hands. Serve with some crusty sourdough, a romaine lettuce salad, and a glass of sustainable, you know, uh, red wine, a petite Syrah, Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, whatever you like, and finish off your meal with some fall fruits, a bunch of grapes, tangy tangerines, crunchy Asian pears, and a few figs. Um, buon appetito. So what are you harvesting in your garden right now? Do you have a family fall in the pot recipe to share with others? My mom taught me that expressing love came from gardens and homemade food. And my dad taught me that farmers feed the hungry and wine is the nectar of the gods. So both gave their hearts. And during these very challenging times, as we pray that our California vineyards survive this ordeal, let's toast to life with a glass of vino and welcome fall with a pot of goodness from our gardens. When we come back from break, I can't wait to talk to her. We're going to be reviewing and discussing the novel by John, Jan Eliasberg, Hannah's War. Stay with me. You're listening to Star Style. Be the star you are. We're coming to you live on the Voice America Network. I'm Cynthia Bryan, and do not go away. I'll be right back. Be the star you are. The star you are. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Are you seeking a Dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world. Lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR. 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 And visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan. www.cynthiabryan.com. This business of show business is calling out to me. 
Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryan, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. 925-377-STAR. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show. Well, the party is starting now, and it is a power one for sure, because I promised you somebody great, and I have Jan Eliasberg with me. Uh, she actually shattered the glass ceiling as a writer, director. She was handpicked by Michael Mann to be the first female director on Miami Vice and Crime Story. Uh, those were such great, great shows. And she's dr- directed all these different pilots for CBS, ABC, NBC. And she has now written this book called Hannah's War. It's a novel, but it's based on the end of World War II, or actually all of World War II, and the Manhattan Project and the atomic bomb. And most of all, a real-life character, Dr. Lise Meitner, who most people don't know about. Welcome, Jan, to Star Style. Be the star you are. Thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be here. Well, this, this, I mean, first of all, I love history. I was a history major at UCLA, so I love anything that's history. So these kinds of novels that are based on history, but they also interweave other exciting elements, um, really, really intrigue me. But let's talk, first of all, about the impetus for writing this. You actually yes. came across an article about the Jewish-Austrian physicist, Dr. Lise Meitner, and had never really heard of her. And now we've come to find out that she was totally instrumental in the development of um, the atomic bomb and the atoms. And, I mean, she was actually robbed of a Nobel um prize. I mean, she was nominated something like 29 times for two different ones. Yes, that's correct. You've done your research. Oh, yes, I totally do. Are you kidding me? I mean, I I got so excited about this. So you tell us, tell us about her and tell us about your journey, how Hannah's War developed. Okay. Well, the first inspiration was um, a number of years ago, I was doing research for a screenplay that I wrote about the women air service pilots in World War II. These are women who also didn't get the credit they deserved. Um, and uh, I was in the library, and I was thinking it would be very interesting to find out how they covered the end of the war. And, of course, mm. the end of the war officially was when we dropped the Hiroshima. Bomb on Hiroshima. And Nagasaki, right. Yes. So I I called up that part of the microfiche, and there was an enormous headline, as you can imagine, about how many people were killed, and Truman vows reign of ruin. And then they, the New York Times essentially had to explain the entire history of the development of the bomb from the very beginning because it was a completely secret project. 
And even scientists working at Los Alamos did not know what they were working on. And people, you know, and just to interrupt, anybody working on that Manhattan Project didn't know. My father-in-law told us that he was working on it and he had no idea he was working on a bomb. He was working at it through UC Berkeley and Lawrence Livermore Hall, you know, I mean, sure. Labs. Yeah. Yeah. And he had no idea what it was. So I think nobody knew it was really nobody knew except for the very inner circle, uh, circle, people working right right with Oppenheimer. Um, But they the the military insisted that they not call it a bomb. They called it the gadget. With mm-hmm. ga- we're working on a gadget, you gadget. know, and they, <laughs> I mean, there are great stories about how they sort of kept all of these secrets. But there I was learning about how this thing came into being and about mm, halfway down, the maybe right below the fold, it said the key component that allowed the Allies to develop the bomb was brought to the Allies by a female non-Aryan physicist. And I thought, no name, no name, a female non-Aryan physicist. I knew enough to know that non-Aryan meant Jewish. Mm -hmm. I thought it was fascinating that the New York Times didn't just use the word Jewish, but uh, they didn't. And at that moment, I honestly thought that whoever this woman was, was reaching out through that microfiche and grabbing me and saying, you must tell my story. Mm. Because Mm. I immediately felt like I need to find this woman, I need to know everything about her, and I'm going to tell her story. So Dr. Hannah Weiss, she is, um, she's the model. I mean, for she was she Lise. was the inspiration. Uh, Lisa Meitner is the inspiration, the inspiration for the lead for character, Dr. Hannah. Yeah, Hannah Weiss. Um, so I did find out all about Lisa Meitner, and um, there's much to say, including a lot of things that you covered. Um, she was working in Germany. Um, she was Austrian and she was Jewish. But of course, in those days, most Jews who were working at a high level in, you know, professional uh, world as doctors, as lawyers, as scientists, they they didn't identify as Jewish per se. They identified as she identified as as Austrian. Yeah, and um, actually, very... later in life, she actually she became a Lutheran, and her sisters became Catholic or something. She said, "Yes, I know. I don't." I, that, that was so that interesting was... to me when I studied her. <laughs> I don't honestly know that that how serious that was, um, because I don't. When I read her diaries and her, I mean, she's she has a spiritual life. But I would not call her particularly, you know, uh, religious necessarily. Yeah. Um, she just believed she was Austrian. I mean, it's just like was, anybody. You're Austrian American. You're was, Spanish. Uh, you know, a, you don't want to be a scientist. Well, yes, she was right? a scientist. That's, exactly. So, um, but of course, you know, as she was working in Berlin, and this is in the 30s, she wasn't ignorant. She knew that Hitler was coming to power, and. Um, and and she was concerned about what was going to happen. 
Um, and her colleagues would all say, you mustn't worry. You are protected by your status. You're working at this high-level research institute. We will protect you. And the day that Austria was annexed, one of her colleagues called the Gestapo, told them where to find her, and she had six hours to flee wow. the country or be taken to the camps. It's it's unbelievable. And you, this is how uh, you have her colleague Stefan, who yes. um, assists her, assists Hannah in assists the Hannah novel. In her, yes. yes, assists her in her um, in escape. Her, uh, uh, escape. And in fact, what happened with the real Lisa Meitner is that her collaborator, her partner, lab partner, uh, was a man named Otto Hahn. And who won the he, Nobel Prize. Who and won the, well, didn't. yes. And let me tell you why he won the Nobel Prize. Um, he and Lisa Meitner had been working together for 20 years. And after the... Uh, Nazis took over the the institute where they worked, and after Meitner escaped to Sweden, he could not work without her. And so he went to meet her in Copenhagen, and they devised sort of their next set of experiments. And then he would go back to Germany, and he would do the experiments because he had the lab equipment and all of that. Um, And he was basically a chemist. Her job was as a mathematician and a physicist, and so she would analyze the results of the experiments. So he sent the results of the experiments to her by courier on postcards. And it was, in fact, when she was snowshoe skiing, you know, snow skiing, cross-country skiing with her nephew, that he had sent her a postcard that puzzled her no end. She could not understand how he had gotten these results. And suddenly, and I think this is such a great scene in the movie, she stopped in the middle of the snow-filled woods, and she started doing equations with her ski poles in the snow. Oh, and she that said, is a great scene. <laughs> That's she a great said, scene. I, I know what happened the only way he could have gotten these results is if we split the atom. So really, it was her Her. discovery. Now, not to take away from what he did, he had done the experiment that yielded these results, but it was really her discovery that, and and her naming of what had happened. And... um, because she was Jewish, he published papers and he did not put her name on them because in Germany at that time, of course, if you had a Jewish person's name on the papers, it was immediately discredited as quote-unquote Jewish science. Right. So we'll, right. we'll give him the benefit of the doubt there and we'll say, okay, you know, he published the papers without her name because of that. But then after the war, the Nobel Prize committee came and said that they wanted to award him the prize for the discovery of atomic fission, nuclear fission. And Lisa Meitner was sitting in the audience 
And he picked up the prize, and he had to give a speech. And in her diary, she wrote, I'm so disappointed and so hurt that he didn't even mention Mention. my name. And that was so typical, wasn't it, of the times as well? I mean, it was it was just such a, I should say it hasn't changed all that much, but it was such a man's world that a woman yep. could do the work, but the man took the credit. Credit. And I and, and I wanted you just talked about you know because you are a film director and a screenwriter, you just said you could see the scene. Are you going to write the screenplay for this? I mean, it is, it's, it's beautiful. It's very detailed. And I have to say, as I was reading, I had all these pictures in my mind. I was there in the countryside. I was there in the lab. I, you know, when she would get Sabine's postcard, I was reading them. I I think this would make an incredible film. Do you have any uh, thoughts on that? I mean, you have the inside Uh, track, Jan. And if you're just joining us, we're talking to Jan Eliasberg. Her book is Hannah's War. We'll get back to that. But what do you think? I I am actually speaking at the moment with some very powerful producers uh, who agree with you. They they can see a movie there, too. Um, I can't say who yet because it is not a done deal, but let's just say that it is is in the works. works. Now, are you allowed allowed to give an opinion on who would play Jack or Stefan or Hannah? I mean, or who you would like. Who you would like. Yes, of course. Of course I can. Um, Now, I have to warn you that you may not, you may not agree with me. Um, These are just my opinions, uh, but I have good reasons behind them. So uh, for Hannah, um, I I, I need to point out, it's very important, that um, she is much younger than you think. Um, when she's in Germany, you know, basically scientists do their best work by the time they're 30 or they're considered washed up. I thought so, she was like about 20 in her 20s. That's how I've read her. Yes. She is in her 20s in Germany. And then five years later in Los Alamos, she might be in her, you know, 31. Yeah, so early 30s. I, yeah. I feel that it is always easier with an actress to um, age them up as opposed to casting an older actress and trying to make her look younger. So my instinct is always to cast a younger actress and let them play the the older age. Um, And I think there is one actress who is the most ferocious, fierce, intelligent actress we have in um, today. And that is uh, Saoirse Ronan. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, she's very, she's very, very good. There's no doubt she's about her. Very yeah. good. And, and, she and Jennifer is, Lawrence, I could see her doing it as well. I could too, um, except I find Jennifer, uh, you know, to be very American. And of course, Hannah is European. So you just have to, you know, make allowances mm-hmm. for that because, and mm-hmm. also she's a very guarded person she's she the ferocity the intelligence has to be in her eyes mm-hmm. because she's not 
demonstrative, you know, in it with her physicality. Um, but you have to feel it all. No, you feel right? you. I've from reading um, the way you've written Hannah. She's very interior. Um, yes. And incredibly t- intelligent, incredibly intelligent. Yes. And she seems to be a chess player, you know, yes. someone, yes. <laughs> someone yes, who is ahead of the game. Always, always, always. All right. Also, so for Jack, 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 that, I don't want to give anything away, but he's he's such a fascinating character. And he's a chess player, too, of course. Of course. And, well, they all uh, are, actually. He thinks he's ahead of the game. Um, he's, not. <laughs> he's quite surprised when he realizes that Hannah's had his number for quite a while. But uh, I, I'm thinking about somebody like Miles Teller, um, who is also on the younger side, um, but who's very intense and very smart. He was in Whiplash. I don't know if uh, if oh, you I saw love that. And he, you know, he's, he's, he's fantastic. Um, and then for, for Stefan, actually, there is a German actor that I have come across who is wonderful. I, nobody will have seen him yet because I saw him in a, in a German film, um, in which he plays a very, uh, upstanding German, young German lawyer. Um, it's you need somebody lovely. very debonair and very charming, and he, right? If you look at his picture, you will start to melt. And mm. you will say, I mean, as I did, that's him. There's, okay. I mean, that is him. He is tall. He's blonde, but he's kind of strawberry blonde. He's got blue eyes, and he is charming as all get out. And... Uh, yeah, that's that's who I would. And like what's his for. name? His name is Alexander Frailing. F R E H L I N G. Because that was he was a he's such an interesting character too because you don't really know if he is on her side or if he's playing her or what it is, and she has to be so guarded. Now I yes. want to ask you about something that took place. So much of what you've written, you know, it's difficult to know what's what was actually historical and mm-hmm. what um, <laughs> what is your novel, unless yes. you study history. But Fritz Kuhn, he was the leader of the American wing of the Nazi movement. In fact, he liked to call himself the American Führer, right? Yeah. Um, and he had that huge, huge rally at Madison Square Gardens, I think 20,000 people. And I, I, what I was so interested, I just, first of all, I couldn't even believe, you know, that this actually happened, but you have Jack looking up what's going on. And there was this line in here that says, you don't want to be misrepresented in the press. You know how the Times slants everything to the left, commies, labor unions, Hollywood. And thanks to Franklin D. uh, Rosenfeld, Franklin D. Rosenfeld and his Jew deal. And that's the way they advertised it. I had never heard that line. And then, of course, I had to do my research. And that is absolutely there. Um, Tell us about I was 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 shocked. You too. Okay. When I I read that. 
And I was so shocked that I thought I have to put that in the novel because (laughs) what I discovered, one of the most surprising things in the research was how incredibly anti-Semitic people were in America. And see, I didn't realize that either because my thought has always been how come they didn't bomb how you know how come the allies didn't go into auschwitz or or um treblinka or how come they didn't bomb it but there was a very big backlash here and in fact actually in israel even for a very long time um the jewish community didn't know if they wanted to bomb it or not bomb it they didn't want it known as the jew war exactly exactly and Um, There was a similar thing going on in America, because in America, there were German Jews who had come over to America way before the war and were really, you know, entrenched in American society. Um, Henry Morgenthau, for instance, um, uh, the, the owners of The New York Times, and they were very conflicted. Uh, about how how much to talk about, you know, the 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 Jews that were generally the Jews that were in those camps were Eastern European Jews, and the German Jews looked down on the Eastern European Jews right. because they were they were peasants. Um, yes, I mean they were they were farmers mostly, and so there was a lot of conflict about how how forceful to be how involved to be and how it might um there might be backlash um so you know with, within Roosevelt's cabinet there were arguments about how many Jews to let into the United States we had Well that voters. was another thing that surprised me is how the United States turned away shiploads of um of refugees of Jewish refugees and I and when I'm reading Hannah's War by Jan Eliasberg here, I keep thinking about, are we headed in the same direction again, you know, maybe with other ethnicities or all ethnicities? It just seems, it seems like history almost repeating itself. It, uh, it just made me very frightened, frightened to read what happened before and during World War II and to see these risings up of Heil Hitler you know, and how people just decided to go with this crazy man. And I just hope that we're not headed down the same track again. I do, too. Um, as I was writing, I had that thought more than once. Mm-hmm. Um, well, as I was because... reading your book, I felt it. I just, I felt that your book is very apropos today. It's very much real it's this is what's happening in today's world so not just before no, it, it and, isn't it isn't a historical book and i mean it's very it's very prescient i think um yes and you know uh, one of the things that that i keep remembering is that you know when when trump first came into power it was all about the you know the immigrants and the muslims and w- then he started putting people in putting the um, immigrants the mexican immigrants in, mexican. In, mm-hmm. in these camps in these you know in these there are there you know there were shut in in boxes in what yeah. you know and everybody was so upset and rightfully so and every we, there was nothing else we could talk about but then 
you know, he went on and did some other more horrific thing, and no one's talking about the the the, the immigrants in camps anymore. I mean, and that is basically how it happened in Germany, too. It was like you think, well, that's the worst of it. It can't get worse than that. And then you become accustomed to it and you adapt and it gets a little worse. And you think, well, that's the worst thing that could possibly happen. And that's how that's how authoritarian uh, government. Regime start. Yes. I know. Whenever I hear about anybody that tries to say the Holocaust never happened, I just remember when I was in Auschwitz. Um, it was it, it was just the most horrific thing. And I'm Italian, and I, I'm not Jewish, but I just felt so much pain there. Mm. And it was yeah, yeah. It's just. Um, yeah, it was it was bad. <laughs> but in any case, um, we only have a, a minute or two left. But what I wanted to I just wanted to talk about your cover of your book, Hannah's War. Oh, okay. It is such a beautiful, beautiful cover. You have this you just have the lips and the neck, uh, the decollete of this beautiful woman. And then you have these sparkles on it. And yeah. I was blown away by it because you are writing about the atomic bomb and here are these little atoms. Um, just tell us about how you decided on this cover because it really is spectacular. Well, thank you. I, I, um, this is my first novel um, and it was bought by Little Brown, which is a very prestigious uh, press. Yes, congratulations. And- it's awesome. I I actually found that you know writers get a lot of respect um, in the in the publishing business, which they don't really in Hollywood. So that was pretty gratifying. I like that. And oh, one of the things that they you know did was they would show me the the cover and ask my opinion. So they showed me the first cover, and um, I swear to God. Um, it is the same cover of every single historical fiction book that has a female heroine that you have ever seen. It was a woman in silhouette walking away down a road with some boring, boring, boring. And I, and I, I thought, Oh God, I have to say something because that is so generic. People People will not be prepared for a nuclear physicist, for example, to be, you know, this woman. Um, so I talked to my editor and she said, well, you know, what what would you like to do? And I said, well, let me put together some of the some of the inspirations that I can find. And so I put together a Pinterest uh, board of just First of all, the real woman. There's a beautiful painting that I got the rights to. I found other book covers that I loved. I put in certain um, science experiments that, and then my editor just sent it on to the designer. And about three weeks later, I got an email. I was in a FedEx, I remember. I got an email. New cover was the subject line. And I opened it up, and I literally gasped out loud. You went, wow. Well, see, I gasped, 
too. I guessed too. It was so, so I'm sorry, beautiful. Jan, we're at the end of our interview. I want to give your website out. Of course, the book is called Hannah's War, H-A-N-N-A-H. Hannah's War. It's available wherever books are sold, online, or if your bookstore is open. You can also go to her website and get lots of information. Jan Eliasberg, it's J-A-N-E-L-I-A-S-B-E-R-G dot com. Jan dot com. It's a wonderful read if you're interested in... Um, physics of the atom of world war ii of just history but with a flair and a beautiful love story you will really enjoy this book and it is a novel it is not um it's it's based on truth but it is a novel so you'll be transported and we'll get to see a movie about it very soon well jan one more thing it's an espionage thriller you can't put the book down yes it is totally, yes, because they think that Hannah is a spy, and it's we never even got to that. We never yep. even got to that spy part, um, which is very important, because that was the other thing that fascinated me, is that we were so concerned that the Germans were going to get the atomic bomb before we did, and they weren't even close. But yes. there were spies everywhere. So it's fascinating. But Jan, it's been just a pure delight to have you here on Star Style, Thank Be you. the Star You Are. I want to be in touch with you when you get your script um, written and your movie ready to go. I, I want to be something in your in your movie. It's just okay. such a... <laughs> <laughs> You've got this it's is, a deal. Yeah, it's a deal. let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. That's a great <laughs> idea, Jan. This was just great. Hannah's War, Jan Eliasberg, pick it up. You will thoroughly enjoy it, and you cannot miss this cover. It is just scrumptious. Thank you, Jan, for being on Star Style. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. When we come back from break, we're going to talk briefly about um, the flu season and coping with COVID-19 and the quarantine. I'm Cynthia Bryan. You're listening to Star Style, Be The Star You Are. We are live. Be right back. Be the star you are. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376, 376, Moraga, California, 94556. bethestarur.org. Dare to care. us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. 
It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. Well, I'm back, and I was having such a good time with Hannah's War that I went way over. So I have to make it quick. But, you know, autumn is here. Unfortunately, we're still very much in the throes of the pandemic. And there's another community health concern to contend with, and that is flu season. And the dual threat of influenza and COVID-19 has public health experts warning of a twindemic, they're calling it, that could sicken population and overwhelm hospitals. So definitely social distancing, masking up, washing your hands, getting tested regularly if necessary, remains the best strategy for protecting yourself against the coronavirus but um, it won't be until we have a vaccine for a pandemic. But we do have a vaccine for the flu, and that can greatly reduce your risk of infection. I've already gotten mine, so I'm happy about that. So continuing to follow those hygienic practices in place will prevent or hopefully prevent COVID-19. But getting the flu shots, your best bet for staying healthy this whole fall. And here's when infectious disease specialists and primary care physicians advise you to get your flu shot and what else you need to know. So I am going to just read to you um, what I was given when I got mine, because a lot of people have this, they're scared of the flu of the vaccine because they think that they're going to get the flu and you're not going to get the flu from the vaccine. You could get roar, uh, roar, you could get sore or some redness or some swelling where the shot is given. There might be a small increased risk um, that you might have muscle aches or headaches. Young children who get the flu shot along with the pneumonia shot or a DPT vaccine at the same time might be slightly more uh, likely to have a fever. So you got to talk to your healthcare provider and let them know what's going on. Sometimes people faint after any medical procedure, including a vaccination. So tell them if you feel dizzy. As with any medicine, there is a remote chance of a vaccine causing an allergic reaction. So, of course, you have to be aware of that. Um, and a, re- a serious, I mean, an allergic reaction could be serious. So you have to be very, very uh, cautious of that. The Centers for Disease Control. Uh, and prevention recommend getting a flu shot right now, the beginning of October, while flu season can last well into late spring. It typically will ramp up in the fall, peaks in December and February. And then after getting the flu shot, it actually takes two weeks to build up the antibodies. So getting vaccinated at the beginning of fall allows ample time to build up your immunity And then that's going to last through the worst months of the flu season. You probably, with the flu vaccine, get about six months of coverage. So the timing is especially important for people who are 65 and older, because the older you are, you don't build up the same level of immunity or antibodies, and you might not have the immunity for as many months. Um, And additionally, kids under the age of nine, whose immune systems likely haven't yet been exposed to the flu, they require two shots if it's their first time receiving the vaccine. So they can get their first shot, you know, uh, now, and maybe they'll get a booster in November or so. But so everyone except for babies should be getting the flu shot, pandemic or not. And according to the CDC, everyone ages six months or older should get vaccinated against the flu. And people who don't get the flu shot because they don't want to go to their doctor or pharmacy, 
that's a little scary because they hopefully they're doing social distancing and wearing a mask and washing their hands and are trying to say stay safe but the problem is is if you get the flu they may not know if it's the flu or the covid so check with your local health department for locations and I mean, most of these flu shots if you have any health insurance are uh, free. You can go to your local drugstore. I know Walgreens and CVS, they are all doing it uh, for free. And it may be possible to contract COVID-19 and the flu at the same time. That's a phenomenon known as co-infection. In that case, if a large number of people end up infected with either the flu or the COVID, we're at risk at our health system being overwhelmed with severe cases, and just like we saw in the early days of the pandemic. So the good news is the measures we're taking to prevent COVID also protect against the flu because both viruses are contagious respiratory infections and they're spread through droplets. So getting vaccinated is not a 100% guarantee you're not going to get the flu, but it is a safeguard. And the flu has at least a 50% efficacy. So that is really important. And just remember that just talking releases about 26 hundred small droplets per second and a sneeze is about 40,000 droplets so you know wear those masks people please wear those masks and don't forget getting um, vaccinated can protect you and it can keep you from infecting others and whether you're asymptomatic carrier or just dealing with a mild case so thanks for being great listeners, allowing me into your life every Wednesday uh, here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are for Wednesdays with writers and entertainers. You can change your life. You can make your dreams come true. For more information about me or Star Style Productions, visit please CynthiaBryan.com. To make a donation to the charity that brings you this show, visit BeTheStarYouAre.org or just use the letters B-T-S-Y-A. Dot org. My aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, motivate, and help you to find a good book. A good book is like a garden in your pocket, and this week it's Hannah's Wars. Until next Wednesday, when we celebrate again, right here, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific, remember, love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles keep us happy. I'm Cynthia Bryan for Star Style. I thank you and encourage you to be the star you are and to be your unapologetically authentic self. Have a great week. Go out in the world. Make a difference. Shine. Be the star you are. Thanks for joining me. Be the star you are. The star you been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program star style be the star you are we have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire inform 
entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. For more information, visit StarStyleRadio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are.